everyone. You're listening to Ed Young Radio, Ed Pastors Fellowship Church, and we want to thank you for listening with us. These next few minutes together can change your life, and you can always hear more by visiting edyoung.com. Enjoy the message. I want to talk to you today about a topic I've never talked about in this vein. And if you're a younger person like me, this is a message you really, really need to hear. We need to really lean into this. It's called kind of a strange title, The Fear of Truth. The Fear of Truth. We say though, oh man, I want to drop a truth bomb and I'm all about the truth. We say the truth hurts and sometimes we'll go, can I be truthful with you? We think we traffic in the truth, but I would beg to differ. Let's say you were playing golf with a buddy. And let's just say, hypothetically, you were on the fourth hole. You pull up in your golf cart. You look at the scorecard, the design of the course, and you go, all right, this is a nice little par three over the water. And let's just uh, see what you got. Your buddy walks up to the tee box takes a puff from his Cuban cigar, puts it on the grass. He tees off. Then you tee off. You finish the hole. You're kicking back in the golf cart. You're feeling good because you just parred the hole. A par is the number of strokes. That's the standard for a particular hole on the golf course that the golf course designer recommends. It's like the standard, it's the truth. You make a three. Your friend gets in the cart beside you and you go, huh, I parred that one. I took a three. How about you? Your friend turns to you and he says, I got a five. But that's far. No, it's not. Yes, it is. This is not a par five. This is a par three. See, we take the scorecard. See, see, it's a par three. Three strokes. You got a five, dude. Double bogey. You did not par the hole. I did. I feel like I did. In my opinion, I parred the hole. I think this hole should be a par five anyway. What's this designer thinking about? He doesn't know what's up. It should be a par five. So I parred the hole. I got a five. It's three, three strokes. Yeah, but it seems to be so exclusive. How about the people who never par the hole? How about the person like me that takes a five? Maybe some would take an eight or they would just pick the ball up because of so many strokes. Golf is 
an exclusive sport. Par is 72, and that's par. Yeah, but you're excluding all of the people that don't shoot par. Well, that's, that's golf. You know, I feel like you're judging me because you asked me my score and you told me what you scored and, and you told me that was par for this hole. I'm not, I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you, here's the deal. So then you drive off to the next hole, puzzled, thinking to yourself, this is absolutely insane. Absurdity. It's a par three. And my friend feels like he parted and he got a five. I just described to you the way we deal with truth in our world today. I just described to you how we traffic in truth. Pilate said it when he was dealing with Jesus. What is truth? I had a conversation with a good friend of mine Tuesday, about an hour-long conversation about truth. My friend is not a Christian. He told me he's not even sure he believes in God. We talked about truth. Truth is either objective, truth is either transcendent, Truth is either outside of ourselves, truth comes from a truth source, God, or truth is relative, it is subjective, it is a moving target. Truth. But our culture would say, oh, you scoring a five and thinking it's a par five is true for you. And you hitting a par, making a three on a par three is true. So both of you are true. Both of you, that's right, are square. They're absolute truths physically. I was talking to my friend, as I said, and he had a stapler on his desk. I picked the stapler up and I said, hey, if I let go of this stapler, what would happen? He goes, it would fall to the ground. I said, right, the law of gravity. That's an absolute truth. Whether you believe it or not, it's going to hit the ground. You can, you know, go, wow, I don't feel it or I'm not sure. That's a law. It's true. No matter what circumstances or situations, that's true. 
There's also truth, the truth about God and the truth about who God is. It's the same way. They're physical laws, they're spiritual laws, and we fear, don't we, the truth about God. Did you hear me? Students, we fear God. And the fear of God brings us to the fear of God. We fear God because down deep, Romans chapter one says, we have a moral law stamped on our consciousness. Romans chapter one, verse 20 says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without, without, we know the truth. In our heart of hearts, we know the truth. God is truth. He doesn't contain truth. God is truth. His truth is intrinsic. What wet is to water, what cold is to ice, truth is to God. He's truth. It's intrinsic. It's independent. He doesn't need truth or to become more truth-like from an outside source. Also, his truth is invitational as well. So we have the non-moral attributes of God. He's omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, and those things scare us to death. They scare the hell out of a lot of us, theologically speaking, because that's why we become Christians. Literally, the hell is scared out of us. The fear of God. We fear knowing that we will have to stand before God one day and give an account of our lives, and we know we're going to fall short. We know that our moral scorecard doesn't look pretty. There's a lot of bogeys. There's a lot of, I'll just pick this one up and send it out. But thankfully, God is the God of the mulligan. He sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins, to rise again. God is truth. He is truth. His truth is transcendent. It's true in all situations and in all circumstances. The truth of God. John 8, 32, Jesus said, you will know the truth. In fact, we have that option, right? And the truth will set you free. So my fear of God brings me to a point where I fear God. What does it mean to fear God? It means to reverence him, to stand in awe of him, to bow to him, to obey him. So the first fear is like, ah, I'm facing eternity. I'm facing forever without God. And God does not slam dunk anybody to hell. We make that choice. So we have that kind of fear. Then we step over the line and receive Christ. We have this reverential, holy fear. The fear of God. We fear the truth about God. And a lot of people spend their entire lives keeping truth, God's truth, at a distance. Think about modernism in the early 1900s. 
modernism basically said that we're gonna seek truth away from God. Now we're in the postmodernism uh, uh, vibe, and students' postmodernism is now you look inside yourself for truth. C.S. Lewis so brilliantly wrote, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust, but how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? It's why the writer of Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We fear God. We fear him because we know down deep he knows the truth. But here's the thing. When we admit the truth, the truth, God, the gospel of God will set us free. The truth. We also fear the truth about ourselves. I know I do. I stand up here week after week knowing that I'm a sinner. I'm fallen. I'm fallible. I'm a fellow struggler. I don't think I struggle as much today as I did five years ago, but I still struggle. I still sin. So do you. Yet, the truth has set me free. And the more I understand and walk in the fear of God, the less fear I have in life, and the more I discover who I am and what God wants me to do. Is it just me or? I feel like sometimes, students, we, we say to ourselves, you know, one thing I have in common with our culture is we're all about love, you know? Have you ever said that? I have. I think I have love in common with our culture. I really don't. If I'm a Christian, if, and if you're a Christian, many of you are believers, we don't. Our love is different than the love the culture has. Jesus said it in Matthew 22, 37 through 40. He said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and what? Greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. My love for others is this divine love. It should be this God-driven love because I know how much God loves me when I don't deserve it, when I don't merit it, and I want that kind of love for others. It's different. And because it's different, because God has standards, because truth is absolute, it's transcendent, one day I have to stand for the truth. I have to stand for the standard, not to be mean-spirited, not to be hateful, not to be this or that. 
And when you stand for the gospel of God, people aren't going to dig it. You're not going to be the most popular person in your school. When someone Googles you, you're not always going to be trending. You're not going to have the most followers or likes or clicks. It's just not going to happen. I have to tell the truth about myself before God. God, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe truth is transcendent. Truth is outside of me, and I can make this decision to receive the truth, and the truth will come inside of my life, and the truth will set me free. Jesus said, I am the way, not an option. I am the truth. I'm the light. No one gets to the Father. No one gets to God but me. Is a locksmith being arrogant saying, well, that key to your house is the only key that works? He's being arrogant. Is the math teacher being narrow-minded when she says, hey, two plus two is four? I mean, four is the answer. It's not 4.1, it's not five, it's not 1.7 million. No, it's four. You telling me Jesus is being arrogant? Mean spirited when he says, I'm the way? Why do we have hate in the world? We have no standards. There's no standard of truth anymore. Why do we have racism? No absolute truth. It's a God thing. It's a lack of the fear of God. Why do we have mayhem, absurdity? The lack of the fear of God. The answer, and this is nothing flippant or trite, the answer is Jesus. He's the answer. So we fear the truth about God. We fear the truth about ourselves. And also we fear the truth about others. God says, here are my standards, here's my truth. The truth will set you free. Oh, I appreciate that, God. I'm just going to do what I feel like doing. You know, I feel that I have a same-sex attraction to a man or a woman. So that's true to me. So I guess I'll involve myself in homosexuality. I'm a man, and I feel like a woman. I don't want you walking into the bathroom with my wife and my daughters and my granddaughter. Absurdity! You talking about a woke culture? Here's what a woke culture is. You gotta wake up to the fear of God. That's our problem. And just because you feel it, doesn't mean it's real. I feel like it's a par five. I want it to be a par five. Science tells me it's a par five. It's a par three, dude. The designer said it. 
See, truth is not relative, young people. Dr. Fuzzy Face will tell you something different. Your teacher will tell you something different. An A-lister will tell you something different. We have to be careful, young people, of being swept into the vortex, listen, of a secular worldview. Oh man, well, they're about love or they're about this or that. Be very careful to jump on that hype train. If everybody else in the culture is jumping on it, warning, 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 alien is approaching. That hype train. What are the other cars that are connected to the hype train? Marxism? Abortion? Rebellion? Subjective truth? We're being swept out into the seas of relativism and we have no anchor. I tried one time to make an anchor. This was so stupid. I saw a DIY thing, got a Clorox bottle, filled it full of sand. But here's my stupid move. I got some clothesline from my mother and I thought I'd cut off enough clothesline. I got into the middle of the lake. I dropped the anchor and went down 10 feet, but it was 25 feet deep. It didn't do a thing. We're an anchorless culture without God. We're an anchorless culture without his standards. But it seems that God is narrow. Jesus said, broad is the way, narrow is the gate that leads to eternity. Well, it seems so arrogant, arrogant. The truth is specific. We have to hold the truth high. It seems so, I don't know, exclusivistic. Well, most golfers are not gonna shoot par. <laughs> And how about the people who've never played golf? No, no, how about you? You double bogeyed the hole, my man. Truth. Have you responded to the truth? Let me ask you again. Have you responded to the truth? Because God's standards are perfect. Perfect golf. A perfect moral scorecard. But we've messed up, haven't we? We've sinned. God did something about it because he's all about truth. He sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, to rise again, thereby making up our shortfall 
our distance between ourselves and God because of His grace and mercy, because of His death on the cross for all of our sins, for all of our moral fallops. And we can respond to the truth by simply saying, yes, I want to know the truth. But think about it. Forever is a long time to be wrong. Thank you for listening and thanks to all who give so generously to this ministry. It's because of you that we can continue this show and equip people with the hope of heaven. You can click the link in the description to support the show or visit edyoung.com. There you can also be resourced with bonus content for free, including a daily devotional. We also encourage you to share the message today with those around you. Thank you again for listening. God bless.